executive session of the Denver City Council Committee. In today's session, council members will focus on proposed changes to the city charter. This session of the Special Issues Committee begins now. everyone. I'm Amanda Sawyer. I represent District 5 and had a, the honor of chairing the Charter Review Committee. Uh, it's Monday, February 12th. Thanks so much for joining us. Before we get started, um, let's do a round of introductions. Doesn't look like there's anyone online, so we'll start to my right. Hi, everyone. Sarah Parody. I represent the city at large. Good afternoon. Uh, Daryl Watson, City Council, District 9, Define District 9. Uh, good afternoon, Kevin Flynn, Southwest Denver's District 2. And good afternoon, I'm Paul Cashman, I represent South Denver District 6. Good afternoon, Flora Vibres, Lucky District 7. Good afternoon, Diana Romero-Campbell, Southeast Denver District 4. Stacy Gilmore, District 11. As far as I represent this, uh, District 3. Good afternoon, Councilman Amanda Sandoval, Northwest Denver, District 1. And good afternoon, Chantel Lewis, District 8. All right. Um, well, to start today, we've got Council President Torres and Council Pro Tem Sandoval um, presenting a charter change proposal 24-0119. Uh, so why don't you guys take it away? Thank you so much. Um, and thank you, mm -hmm. colleagues, um, uh, for giving us a bit of this time. I know we've got a few really exciting proposals to discuss today. Um, Councilwoman, Councilman um, uh, Pro Tem, uh, Sandoval and I um, are bringing before you a potential uh, charter change, a recommendation for charter change um, that would affect employment um, uh, opportunities in both police and fire department. Um, this proposal would amend charter section 9.4.1, um, which specifically says um, uh, that US citizenship is required uh, for service in our classified service applications, um, which is inclusive of both police and fire. Um, why would we want to do this? I think um, one of the first reasons is uh, reducing the amount of employment discrimination that this presents uh, for the two areas of service. Um, it brings, uh, I think, a note of diversity, inclusivity, and community-orienting policing. Uh, Denver is roughly 12% uh, immigrant in population. Uh, these are a variety of different uh, statuses from legal permanent residents to DACA recipients, a variety of different um, levels, all of whom are eligible for employment, just not this one right now. Um, this would provide that path for employment to all who desire it, um, uh, reduce employment discrimination, which is a very real uh, issue when this kind of thing um, takes place, and then assist with potential recruitment and retention uh, for both departments. Um, the problem in uh, this particular uh, language is that it affects uh, only our police and fire. The criterion um, unnecessarily restricts this uh, pool of applicants and excludes qualified non-citizen re residents. Um, we provide a little bit of uh, survey data that you can read um, on your own time, but um, it just kind of describes what we've been experiencing in Denver in terms of um, a drop in recruitment, some drops in retention, um, uh, resignations that we're seeing across the board since we, we really started COVID. A lot of our forces retiring um, from bo both of those. 
um, and uh, we're we're absolutely excluding a, a section of the population that um, we've been shown wants to pursue something like this and should be able to. Um, some of the local context around this um, and why we're not including the sheriff's department because the sheriff's department has already solved for this. Um, back in 2015, an employment discrimination claim was made against the Denver Sheriff's Department um, uh, that they were discriminating against immigrant applicants. They had similar language. Um, as we all know, Sheriff's Department is not held in charter, their employment process. It is held in ordinance. And so um, through a Department of Justice determination, um, they worked with, um, excuse me, that should be DSD, uh, Committed Citizenship um, status discrimination, and they work to remove that uh, restriction from its ordinance and um, are able to bring on uh, any eligible worker, regardless of immigration status. Um, thank you. Uh, nationally, um, a similar context, um, law enforcement agencies, one facing recruitment challenges, um, and several jurisdictions making the steps to um, ensure that they're able to meet these challenges. Um, and some of those um, take different forms. So we have a, a variety of examples on the right-hand side here of what those status uh, changes and employment changes can look like. Um, Maryland, North Dakota, and Tennessee, and Washington permit some or all lawful permanent residents to serve as police officers. California, Hawaii, and Utah permits other legal residents in addition to lawful permanent residents to serve as police officers. Um, Illinois, California, and Colorado, we've begun to pass laws that would permit mod citizens who are authorized to work to become police officers. So one of the, one of the changes that took place um, was at the state level uh, here in Colorado just last year, um, where House Bill 1143 allowed DACA recipients um, to be post-certified. So that's something that then gives them standing to join uh, law enforcement agencies um, that require that certification um, uh, throughout the state of Colorado. But even locally, uh, other jurisdictions allow for lawful permanent residency as a status to serve in their law enforcement as well. Um, I'll pass it over to Councilwoman Sandoval. Thank you, President Karsh. Um, so here's a timeline of the outreach that both of our offices have done. Um, we presented to several of our um, commissions, boards and commissions, presented to the Denver Fire Department, talked to our local um, 858 who represents the Denver Fire Union. Um, today we're here, February 2024, in front of the Charter Review Committee, and then we hope to file this in April. And here's the City Council um, timeline. For all of those, those who need a little bit of a refresher, the last charter review committee will happen in June because we have to get to the ballot by November, which means that all of the charter review, all of the initiated ballot questions have to be voted on us by August 5th. So if you work backwards from August 5th, that means charter review committee will end in June. So that's what we're, um, President Torres and I are working towards. And what we want to do, here's the proposed solution. We just want to send a ballot question. We haven't formulated the ballot question yet, but we will for um, finance and governance. We want to just remove the yellow um, highlighted area, shall be a citizen of the United States. That's all we want to remove from the 
um, proposed solution that we're seeking. Here's the community outreach that we've done. We presented to the Denver Immigrant and Refugee Commission, Denver Latino Commission, Denver Asian American Pacific Islander Commission, um, the Denver Police Department, Department of Safety, once again, Denver Fire Local 858, and the Colorado Immigrant, Immigrant Rights and Coalition. In Legistar, you'll see letters of support from the Denver Latino Commission, Denver Immigrant and Refugee Commission, Chief Ron Thomas from the Denver Police Department, and Chief Fulton from the Denver Fire Department. And now we'll just stand here and any questions that we have, we'll be we're here. Thank you, committee chair. Thank you, council president pro tem for bringing this forward. Um, this sounds really important and I'm surprised that it's still in here, but um, so just to get some clarification on my lack of experience. So this is basically just forwarding it to a ballot issue initiative. Yeah, is that correct? so remember we have ordinances and we have charter and in order to change the charter, it has to be a vote of the people. So we would, this would be initiated ordinance by city council on the November, 2024 ballot. Okay, thank you. And I just wanna clarify one thing, which is uh, pretty apparent to me, but just to have it on the record, this means like a dreamer could not be in these services, correct? It, if they have, if they're a DACA recipient, yes. So a DACA recipient yes. currently can. Yes, oh, okay. so we would just be removing the restriction that only citizens can apply. And if somebody has a status that makes them eligible to work, um, so that could be a DACA recipient, it could be a green card holder, legal permanent resident. Um, uh, there are a variety of different parole options. If you're eligible to work, you could apply to work in this job. Currently, it's just misleading in the charter with the word citizen? It's just restrictive. So um, you, can, you can be eligible to work in a variety of different immigration statuses and still not be a citizen. Right. Um, so that, that would just be removing that one narrow uh, category. Restriction. But currently, but I'm still a little bit confused. Currently, they can't apply. Right. That's what I was trying so to say. So currently, okay. right now, right. a dreamer or a DACA cannot apply. Cannot because apply they are to not be a, a Denver firefighter or a Denver police officer. They're ineligible. Right. Okay. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And thank you, um, Chairwoman. All right. Thank you. Councilmember Flynn. Uh, thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, outreach, among the outreach uh, that you listed was 858 uh, firefighters. Uh, did you get any feedback from them? And then did you not talk to PPA? And if not yet, will you? And let us know what feedback they give. Yeah, so we reached out to 858 and they are supportive. Um, so we wanna, well, what I'd like to do, what we would like to do is before we go back to the unions, I'd like to have the question formulated uh -huh. so then they can share that question with their membership so it's very clear. Um, but most, for the most part, yes, 858 was supportive. Okay, thank you. That's all, Madam Chair. Great, thank you. Councilmember Romero Campbell. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, and thank you for the presentation. Uh, like uh, Councilwoman Alvidres, I'm surprised that it's still in there. Um, my question is, is if somebody does apply, would this also help them on a pathway to citizenship or be an additional, you know, mark for being, you know, for helping them along the way? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. There are two sides to that question. Um, one, uh, yes, I think when you apply for citizenship, um, you're assessed for uh, a character for um, your benefit to society that you wouldn't be a burden. And so all of those things, I think, um, become really 
positive attributes in your application. Um, we were, I was asked um, in one of the outreach meetings that we did um, whether or not something can actually hurt them along that path. And yes, it can. If you end up with, um, with criminal charges uh, through either one of those works, um, that's something that follows you into that process. And whereas a, a citizen um, uh, wouldn't have that assessment of their citizenship um, in the way a legal permanent resident might if they apply for citizenship, um, if they've been charged with something, it, it, it could absolutely. Um, but that could be the case for um, a legal permanent resident who's not a police officer or a fire uh, firefighter. Um, it could be anybody who's applying for citizenship that has to um, qualify uh, or explain um, why they might have ended up with a criminal charge or a municipal charge or something like that in their background. Thank you. Um, I have another question. Um, DACA and DREAMers have been specifically named in here, but as I read it, you're also talking about a whole wide variety of other um, languages or people who have languages from just across the globe um, that would also contribute to the diversity of this, um, of, of this particular change. And I think that that's so incredibly important, especially when we're talking about our um, within law enforcement and that ability to communicate in a first language uh, with folks who are, you know, in our community and back. So I just wanted to clarify, and I don't know if you want to expand on that for, for who else would it also be besides streamers and DACA? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, it, it, you could get into a lot of um, different categories of immigration status. Um, uh, Cubans, Haitians, for example, have varieties of parole. Um, so it, it just depends on whether or not you're eligible to work. And that would be the critical factor for being able to apply for this job or any other job, frankly. This just wouldn't apply an additional uh, layer of um, uh, requirement on top of uh, what exists already if you're looking for a job in the city of Denver. And, and frankly, I think what you mentioned in terms of what assets um, do uh, uh, immigrant non-citizens bring forward, it absolutely is language. It could also be experience. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of immigrants who end up in Colorado unable to get back into their line of work. And some of them were nurses, doctors, teachers, mm -hmm. law enforcement personnel in their home country, and they haven't been able to um, go back or even enter back into those fields because of the certification it can require. And so we're leaving out uh, people who really do want to help community. Thank you. I don't have any more questions, but thank you for bringing this forward. Thank you, Madam Chair. Great. Thank you. Councilmember Watson. Uh, thank you, Madam Chair. Quick question on any legal impacts. So, for example, when we put forward a proclamation, we make that slight change within the current uh, charter. Does our legal team, city attorneys, do they review that to mm -hmm. ensure any, and I, I mean, it makes sense what you're doing, but I'm just curious, how does that work? Our discussion that the city attorneys, I guess I can ask a direct question to the city yeah. attorney. Good question. <laughs> we'll, we'll ask to respond. Thanks, Councilman Watson, on Shabaga, uh, Assistant City Attorney. We've reviewed the language that's being proposed. We have no legal issues with it. We've also had the employment law section of the city attorney's office review it. They also did not see any significant legal issues. Uh, that was my only question. Thank you, committee chair. All right, thank you. Seeing no other questions, um, just for those viewing at home who are interested, so we have a process here at Charter Review Committee where an idea is presented at Charter Review Committee and then 
um, either goes out for further discussion um, and research or comes or, or is filed in the committee of reference. Um, so uh, as far as I'm concerned, this doesn't need to come back through charter review committee, please just file in the committee of reference and uh, we can have any further discussions there, but it's complete and ready to be seen um, in committee. So thank you for your work. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you very much. All right, so we're gonna move to our next topic now. Um, this is 24-0144, a proposal elevating HRCP to a charter level agency. Um, so if you, Council President Torres, do you need help pulling that up or we got it? Thumbs up, do you want Logan to run it? Great, okay. So um, while Council President Torres is coming back to her seat, um, I will just kick off this presentation by saying that this is something that um, we've talked about quite a bit uh, as a city council over the last couple of years and particularly over the last sort of six or seven months um, with the new administration. Um, and so this would be a proposal to elevate our hum Office of Human Rights and Community Partnership to a charter level agency. So um, the language is not written yet. This is the first time we're kind of bringing this proposal in front of everyone. Um, so wanted to just answer any questions, run it by you all, and then we'll come back here with specific language um, before we file it in the committee of reference. But um, uh, since Council President Torres worked in HRCP for most of her career in the city and county of Denver, I am going to go ahead and let her uh, take it from here. Thank you so much. And um, I appreciate your partnership on this. Thank you, Logan, for uh, working the, the slides there. And I think the um, first slide is um, just a really uh, beautiful demonstration of how far back this agency goes. Um, 1947 was when it was formed as a committee under Mayor Quig Newton. And I remember learning based on some of the historical documents that it was um, uh, formed in order to conduct a, conduct a study on the state of race relations in Denver back at that time. And obviously this is coming off the heels of a mayor who was a, a member of the, of the KKK. So um, Mayor Quig Newton, I think rightly uh, felt like a, uh, a reset was needed, some um, kind of status uh, updates as to where the city was at and what might be needed and um, uh, appreciate, I think, the work that that was done at that time. Um, it then took a variety of different formulations over many decades, going from a, uh, a committee to a commission to uh, eventually an agency of the mayor's office. And the today the Agency for Human Rights and Community Partnerships um, consists of multiple offices that um, are dedicated to the needs of our communities in a variety of different ways. Um, in uh, 1984 was when I think the first codification of the agency took place. Um, um, and at that time, both the agency and only three of its commissions were codified into ordinance, the Commission on Aging, Commission for People with Disabilities, and the Women's Commission. Um, but in 2008, this was a process that I was proud to take part of, um, we made sure that all the other commissions that were technically advisory councils to the mayor um, were also codified. That included our Asian American Pacific Islander Commission, our LGBTQ Commission, our Latino Commission, et cetera, et cetera. And so a number of our community um, branches out uh, from the city were codified at that time. Um, there are, I think, a number of other things that structurally were changed under the uh, in the 2011 
uh, start of the Hancock administration, and one that I was really proud to be a part of, which was um, including and creating the um, Immigrant and Refugee um, Immigrant and Refugee Commission. Um, and so it is a constantly evolving entity. And one of the things um, that is true about this agency, it is not just community partnerships and relationships, it's also um, uh, compliance, so federal and even local compliance with laws. So this is where the anti-discrimination office is housed that ensures that housing, public accommodation, and um, housing, public accommodation, I'm blanking on the third, branch of that, um, that, that area, housing, public accommodation and employment um, are covered in our non-discrimination and a number of pr protected classes have been added under that. This office precedes even the state um, civil rights commission. So this office was where in its early days, most of the complaints were filed that were addressing our um, trans community, our GLBT community overall um, for the city of Denver um, discrimination complaints. Um, in order to, uh, I think, propose uh, an enhancement to this agency's status, um, we've got to get into what the charter covers and what ordinance covers. And so we'll go to the next slide. Thank you so much. So the code status, HRCP is currently codified under chapter 28 of the municipal code. Um, and it, the agency itself um, covers sections uh, one through 19. The commission is then, the commissions um, are then codified in the next sections. And then there's an HRCP advisory board. Um, you'll also remember that just last year, uh, council became a an appointment maker for two of the positions that are on that HRCP advisory board. So we um, um, are already heavily involved um, in some of the some of the kind of community investment um, and the work that happens in HRCP. Um, additionally, we've got listed the executive orders that uh, pertain to HRCP, which are pretty important for this city. Um, the Safe and Welcoming City for Immigrants and Refugees, which is Executive Order 142. Compliance with Americans with Disabilities Act, which is Executive Order 147, and the Citywide Language Access Program, which is Executive Order 150. Next slide. Councilwoman, do you wanna do any? No, go ahead. You're good, okay. Um, we'll keep moving over. Um, I've gone over a little bit already of what the mission of HRCP is, um, but I think it's important to state it. Um, it's to proactively protect human rights, build capacities and strengthen connections that result in stronger relationships in the community through collaboration, communication and advocacy. And the mission is uh, construed and executive uh, executed consistent with the charter and the authority granted under this article too. Go to the next slide. These are the pillars of the agency, advocacy, capacity building, collaboration and partnerships, community engagement, research and service. Um, and thank you for the note there. It is made up of 10 commissions, seven offices, um, one division, and that division is used to be an office. It was the Office of Disability Rights. It is now the Division of Disability Rights, um, which has an expanded um, staffing structure and purview, um, which I think it becomes an important thing for us to consider as we're proposing um, this new change. Next slide. Uh, just for your reference, the commissions are laid out here which I hope folks are already familiar with. Um, let's kind of run through the offices that are in HRCP. 
currently the Office of Financial Empowerment and Protection. I won't go into all the details, but these are in the slides for folks to go back to. Um, next slide, the Office of Storytelling and the Office of Aging. Uh, I'm sure we can all share a little bit about how we've intersected with each of these offices. Um, next slide is the Office of Immigrant and Refugee Affairs um, and the Office of Deaf and Hard of Hearing Services. Next slide, the Office of Nonprofit Engagement and um, the Anti-Discrimination Office. And then finally, the Division of uh, Disability Rights. And then next slide, a little bit about the advisory board if you need um, a little bit of uh, background there. In 2007, we created a board because I think the concern was how the commissions were siloed, um, was bringing a body together that was made up of a member from every commission and then five at-large community members. Council appoints two of those five at-large community members. And then um, next slide, future growth. Um, this is one of the things that I know that we've already made space for was learning about um, and recommending potential Office of Neighborhood Engagement, as well as Community Safety, Wellbeing, and Justice. Um, so uh, both of these, I know, have been things that we've talked about, and we've talked about them falling in under human rights and community partnerships. Um, concluding statements, I think, on just the level of importance that this agency has in the history of Denver, but also in kind of our current iteration. What we are proposing on the next slide is a charter amendment um, that would add the Agency for Human Rights and Community Partnerships Executive uh, to the city charter as part of the official mayoral cabinet. Um, so this executive director position would be subject to city council approval as all new uh, position appointments are for the cabinet members. Um, but the specifics around the divisions of HRCP would remain in ordinance um, so that as the city evolves, HRCP can evolve with it and uh, would rename that standalone agency of the mayor's office. Um, discussions around what we've had around neighborhood safety and community engagement would and should continue. Um, and this would be, I think, a pretty important statement to the city's commitment overall to the kinds of things that HRCP is dependent upon for. When we saw um, uh, the EOC activated under COVID, HRCP was a dominant force in that space, both for how decisions made were going to affect seniors, people with disabilities, um, non-English speaking members of our community, a variety of the ways that in which um, the city responds to emergencies and high level conversations, I think fall directly underneath um, this agency's purview. And so um, this is what uh, brings us here to propose adding it to the official cabinet. All right, thank you, Council President Torres. Thank you, Logan. Um, and I will just add, as I said before, this is a conversation that we've had a number of times with um, our different council members and with the mayor's office as well. Um, this is an incredibly important agency. It is small, it is nimble, um, but it touches everything we do as a city. And I think it's important for us to make the statement um, to our residents and to our staff and to the community as a whole um, that we see the importance and the value that is being added by um, our Office of Human Rights and Community Partnership. And so that is um, our proposal. And like I said, there's no specific language attached yet. Um, wanted to bring it to you all to answer any questions you might have or further any discussion on it. And then we'll um, bring back the uh, 
bring back the charter language probably next month. And so I'm looking to see if we've got any questions in the queue. It doesn't look like it. All right. Well, thank you for your time. You'll see us again probably next month with official language. Um, and so with that, we'll move on to our final um, language that we are considering today. So this is 1703. It is uh, a proposal that we discussed in December um, regarding council member salaries, which are set in the charter. Um, but the way they're set in the charter has sort of a funky... Um, uh, Logan, can you pull up the language the, of the... Um, the ballot language, the actual ballot question, please, for everyone to see, because um, I just want to have a discussion on that. But um, so every four years, we are required to vote uh, to change elected official salaries. What is very interesting about that is that we are not allowed to set those salaries. The um, There are two potential options. They're already set out in the charter. Um, and what we do as council um, is just vote on those to make them official. Um, and the problem with that is that it has become a political football, right? So every four years, we see all kinds of, you know, council is giving themselves raises, um, news articles, and that is not true. The charter, all we're doing by voting is fulfilling our charter requirement, which requires us to do this. Um, so Logan, if you can go down to the charter question, which is on the second page. Right there. So thank you. So what I wanted to, um, so this is the language, you've all got it. I also emailed it out last week um, for council members to take a look at. Um, there are two documents that you're looking at here. The first document is um, the actual charter change, which would be, we would refer to the ballot for voters to vote on. Um, we write the language of the question as it goes to the voters. And so I wanna just, propose to you the language that's written here, um, starting on line 13, um, to run that by everyone and just see if there's any feedback on it or thoughts on it. I know um, Council President Torres had emailed me with a specific question on it for the city attorney's office um, that we haven't had time to discuss, so I'd love to discuss that today mm -hmm. as well. Um, and then the second document that you see um, located in the document queue is um, the companion ordinance that would go along with this. So essentially, um, if we are going to uh, set the salaries uh, automatically moving forward, what we need to do is have a starting point for what those salaries are. So the companion ordinance that goes along with it, it's, it's literally just a list of our current salaries as started in um, July of 2023, um, July 17th, 2023, when we were all inaugurated. So um, all that does is say, you know, here we are, um, this is the starting point for that, and then we kind of move forward from there. So wanted to walk you all kind of through that um, and then answer any questions that you have and uh, have an additional discussion about it and then see whether this is something that needs to come back to Charter Review Committee or whether this is something that can be filed in the Committee of Reference um, moving forward. So with that, we'll start with Council President Torres. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, the the, the question that I raised up is one thing that um, uh, we encountered last year when we were uh, doing this exercise, and it was the language that's um, uh, specific to the change, the percent change um, between uh, for what uh, career service employees receive. I believe it is um, looking at the 
ordinance language. So when you take the lesser of two things, one is the CPI, obviously, the other is the current salaries adjusted and the cumulative percent change over the preceding four years was language that became sticky for us. And John is remembering and nodding his head um, because um, how OHR interpreted that um, was um, uh, subtracting the first year from the change over four years, rather than including how much um, as in just a pure cumulative um, transition from one year to four years. Um, and it their calculation eliminated the first year in that um, equation, which wasn't, I think, the intention. So just want to make sure that there's language in here that when maybe we just take out change and just leave in cumulative percentages of um, what uh, career service employees received. Um, uh, so John, if you want to chime in on that piece, I'm not sure what might be recommended. Yeah, Jonathan Griffin, Deputy uh, Legislative Council, and um, I apologize for not getting back to you. I <clears throat> did see the email. Um, in our mind, that was just a misinterpretation of the currently standing law, um, and that's since been shored up. So we don't believe there needs to be a change to that. Um, however, if there was some way to add greater, greater clarity, we're certainly open to doing so. Um, but largely, that was just a, a, dis or a dispute between us that has since been subsequently cleaned up, so it shouldn't happen again, okay. uh, regardless of the language change. Thank you for that. Um, and then my last um, question, Councilwoman Sawyer, is around what I've seen take place. Obviously, I've only done this once since we've served one term <laughs> um, so far, but um, is when those take place. And that's where I've seen the um, politicization of um, the raise kind of take place that um, it's felt softer, softer to our constituents that oppose council giving itself an, an increase in salary um, to do it over multiple years as opposed to all at once kind of that catch up at the beginning of the term. Is that something that's spoken to in the language? Hi, can you hear me now? Yes. <laughs> I just only just learned how to do this. Um, just kidding. So that is not addressed in here. Um, it is it because so so there's nothing in here that says we can't do that. But what it does say is that we're not going to keep voting on something that we're actually required to do in the charter anyway. We're going to just um, set it and forget it um, unless something comes up where we feel like it's something that we need to discuss. So I'll give you an example of that. Um, during COVID, we, our staff was furloughed. Um, because of this ordinance, we are not allowed to um, accept furloughs of our salaries. So instead, what most of us did was write a check back to the general fund for the amount, same amount that we would have received if our staff was furloughed. So this doesn't take any of that off of the table in terms of the flexibility. What it does do is just stop the politicization. You guys know what I'm I talking about here? Politicization? I don't know what that word is. Um, of the salary setting itself because the charter requires that we set the salary. Um, and so having to vote on it as well um, doesn't doesn't do any good because it in the charter, it, sorry, in the ordinance, it says after 
January, actually in the charter, it says after January 1st of an election year. So we've taken that language out. So instead of setting it in, you know, sometime between January and April of an election year, instead it just gets set. This is in accordance with, um, in the presentation we did in December, um, this is what many, many other cities have done. There's a, John, remind me, and there are two other cities that are still left in the in the 50 United States that still do it this way, the way Denver was doing it, where they where we vote on it regularly in the charter. All of them, all of the other, maybe Luke, maybe you were the one who did this research for us, um, but I think, uh, it, and that chart that. Uh, presentation is attached to your documentation here as well, so you can pull it mm -hmm. up. But I believe there are only two other cities left in the country that do it the way we do it because it just doesn't work and it becomes a political football for no reason. Um, so hopefully that answered your question. I, I mean, it doesn't, but um, I can follow up, I think, because it doesn't, it sounds like it sets it, but who determines when it gets paid out over four years or in a lump? At the beginning. Anshali, you want to take that one? Thanks, Council President Torres, Anshali Baga, Assistant City Attorney. So the, the language in the charter currently that says that this, the increase in the salaries will take effect on the first day of the ensuing term will stay the same. The, you, you two may be talking about two separate things. So the ability of council to pass an ordinance prior to the ensuing term that allows a step up in salaries across those four years is done by ordinance right now. This would not allow you to do a step up in each of the four years by ordinance because the increase in salary would be done at the maximum of the lesser of those two things. So in one lump at the beginning of the term, the Correct. next term. The, the, what, what I believe Councilwoman Sawyer is, is talking about is the reduction in, or that the giving back of some salaries during the time of COVID, this would allow you to continue doing that basically initiating a, a major reappropriation to transfer a portion of your budget to another agency. So this would allow that, but would not allow the practice that council has done in the past of passing an ordinance that would allow a, a step up increase in salaries across the four years. But Anshul, to be clear, it doesn't not allow that. The, the way that the companion ordinance is written is that the salary is as stated in ordinance, which is in the companion ordinance, and then future adjustments would be done pursuant to the charter. The charter currently allows council to take the lesser of, well, to take the maximum of the lesser of two things. Pursuant to that authority, council in the past, in the past four years, has taken, has taken lesser than the lesser of uh, in some years. This would require you to take one flat increase across four years. That but, clarifies for me that that question. Okay, great. Yeah. Okay. Um, I guess the only question I would still have is um, who's making um, the determination of what the increase is if we had this misinterpretation of what the language says between OHR. So I, I can circle back and um, afterwards and, and wordsmith maybe some of that language with, with you all. Okay. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Next up, Councilmember Flynn. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, maybe it's because I never played football, <laughs> but uh, or maybe it's that I spent all those years as a journalist and I developed a hide as thick as an elephant, but I've never really had the same experience voting on this the last two terms. 
and, and seeing a lot of criticism. I've seen a few people being critical that city council is setting the salaries, but I just say, hey, we need to do this every couple of every term. We do it before the election so that you know that before you vote. And so uh, I'm, I'm not struck with the urgency, but I understand the procedure and it's the same as what we do anyway. It's just putting it in charter. I don't see the same urgency, especially uh, in on the presentation on slide five, where it says uh, it keeps our it keeps our pay scales competitive. Um, we're not competing with any other city for salary. Uh, if I'm not happy with the salary here, it's not like I'm going to check out. Should I move to Los Angeles and run for city council there or Philadelphia or something? Uh, would there be? Just, but can, would there be a mechanism? Respond to that with, because that's actually not true. So we do need to remain competitive um, at, in the marketplace because we're not competing with other cities. We are competing with the private sector. And if we wanna have quality individuals um, sit as city council members, then we have to ensure that we are at least remaining competitive, somewhat competitive with the private sector in order to be able to um, have those individuals run for office. Because the, the other option is we either get um, people who are just starting out in their careers for who a low salary would be acceptable, but do not have reasonable experience, work experience to be able to draw from to um, successfully manage a city like Denver, or we get, um, you know, people who are um, in retirement and are ready to give back to their community and serve. And, and that's great. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Um, but we need to have a balanced group of people who are on this body, like we have right here, um, of ages and of um, experience and of different back, all kinds of different backgrounds, um, and and that it, that rich that makes a rich and vibrant um, discussion in our community and amongst our council. And so we do need to remain competitive in the marketplace in order to ensure that people who are um, running for office are able to run for office because they can still afford a roof over their head and you know, food for their families, et cetera, um, which you know, potentially is, is something that would deter many people from running for office um, if we were not competitive. So I just wanna be very clear, that's not true. Okay, I, I, I don't fully agree then. Uh because I think the salaries that we're currently getting are, are well above the, the median uh, income, well above median household income, even for uh, large households. Uh, but you know, be that as it may, it hasn't really kept anyone from running. We've had 50 plus people run every cycle just for council. Uh, and the only people I have seen back out of a race for councils when they uh, were people who were very well to do and decided they couldn't take the salary cut, and I don't mind. I don't mind losing those people from the pool. I guess is, is what I'd like to say. Uh, the other question I would have is: Would we have the option, and maybe Anshul's already answered this, to decline uh, a raise in a in a year like this, when we're facing facing a hundred and eighty million dollar cut in our general fund? Uh, would this charter change prohibit? Uh, uh, taking a raise for the next year, we, it sounds like we would not be able to do that. 
That's right. We would not be able to do that. However, what we would be able to do is what we have done historically in the past, write checks back to the general fund um, as we have done previously. Mm -hmm. That raises tax implications, of course. You have to still have to pay income tax on it. Uh, the, uh, there's one other question I had on, uh, let's see, where was it? The, uh, oh, would we have to, this is what confused me when I read it over the weekend. The ordinance that would accompany this says that the salary shall be set according to the house laid out in the charter and then the charter it says it's set by the ordinance. To me, that says we would still have to pass an ordinance every year to update the, the numbers in that, that box. Is that not true? Uh, thanks, Councilman Flynn. No, so the, the, the draft ordinance that accompanies this charter change says that the salaries shall be adjusted pursuant to the ordinance, yes. pursuant to the formula laid out in charter. The charter says that the salaries shall be as set in the ordinance and yes. future adjustments shall accompany those two things. Right. Currently, the language says that the, the adjustment shall not exceed the lesser of one of two formulas. Right. This would change it so that the adjustment shall, shall be. be. I, under, yeah, I understand that. But will, will we still not have to pass an ordinance with the new numbers in it? So that if the public wanted to see what is the salary of the mayor and the city council and the clerk and the auditor, they could go to the code and see it. In in 20 years from now, they'd still see the 2023 numbers. As drafted, it would not require you to pass an ordinance in order for that change to be effective. The change could be effective without the passage of an ordinance. All right. Thank you. That's all. Great. Thank you. Council Pro Tem Sandoval. Thank you so much for um, working on this as uh, someone who had to vote on my own salary and also being here when um, I was working for Councilwoman Montero and that class had to vote on the incoming class of council members, similar to what we had to do to this class. Um, I have seen this um, used in very different ways that I don't think are very beneficial to anybody. Um, so I'm interested in learning more about this. So thank you for the work on it. The one question I have in all of the information, I can't see if you reached out to the mayor or the auditor or the clerk and recorder because I, if I read everything correctly, it's all electeds. And so just wondering if you've reached out to their offices and it, what their offices have to say. Yeah, great question. Um, I wanted to get the language done and nailed down um, before get briefing them on it. Um, but yes, it's on the it's on the list of things to do. That's why I um, said we may end up coming back here, or we'll do it before we go to the committee of reference. But um, the the outreach hasn't been done yet because the language okay. isn't official yet, and it's not helpful to show you know language that isn't nailed down. Okay. So then, also, how why did we scratch Boulder? I understand Greeley um, in the uh, oh because that we didn't. 35? So the the um, so what you are looking at there is the charter language that says um, that, hold on, let me pull it up so that I've got it right in front of me, but we didn't do that. That is the new, so it used to be that the area of discussion was Denver, Greeley, Boulder, and now the area of discussion for our region is Denver, Aurora, Lakewood. So that wasn't changed by us. That's just an update that we're doing at the same time um, because the state has updated that. Okay, so that is, that comes from the state, and where in the state does that come from? I, I couldn't find that in your presentation either. Sorry, just trying to figure out how to 
cross-reference all of these things. Yeah. Not um, John, do you want to take that one? Yeah, Jonathan Griffin, Deputy Legislative Counsel. So this comes actually from the U.S. Census. They oh, use uh, various areas to the previous language said Denver, Boulder, Greeley, or successor index. Uh, there's subsequently been a successor index. And so this is just up since we're in, since we're already in there, it makes sense to update this to the proper successor index. I believe Anshul was just saying we also did this with minimum wage recently. Uh, again, just to reflect that the U.S. Census's uh, area has changed for us. And fair election fund just last month. Got it. Um, and then the other in the on the bill, the other strikeouts are is that for this is just for the city attorneys. I'm looking at like um, not the there's two things in Legistarth. So there's the salary drop bill and then the charter change. Um, are those just cleanups? So line 30 after January 1st of any general election year, that's um, uh, struck out um, the salaries of such elected. Is that just chart? Is that just cleanup to make the bill match something that we have? Or where did those, I, my, I guess, let me no, that is make the my question easier. Yeah. Where did those changes come from? Because I'm not finding the supplemental information to see why these changes were made that way or an explanation. I get the explanation on um, the elected official salary bill draft. I'm looking more at the salary charter change. Where right, did that is the change. Okay, so, so right now it says um, after January 1st, but before the new term, um, we set the salaries we and, and we vote to set those salaries because those salaries are set right now in ordinance that is the charter change the charter change is to make that automatic so we no longer vote on something that we already have to do got it okay thank you mm -hmm. all right let me pull up my list of speakers councilmember alvidras thank you <clears throat> thank you committee chair are you the chair of this committee yes right <laughs> Um, I just want to say thank you for working on this, and I do think that this is something that shouldn't fall into the election talk or, or be politicized. I will say, like, each of our situations is very different, and as a single mom, I'm a one-income household, so what, uh, what the sacrifice and wages mean for one person isn't what the sacrifice and wages would mean to another person. I also think, um, that we do need good candidates that uh, are willing to work because this job also takes a lot of hours and a lot of hard work and a lot of really valuable experience. Um, and the other thing that I will say about this is that, you know, there's also something else that comes with this job, which is a lot of luncheons and dinners and coffees um, that we have to pay for out of uh, our pockets um, in order to maintain the most ethical um, you know, um, you know, in order to be ethical, we need to pay for, you know, meetings um, as much as possible. And so that's another thing that I don't think we're totally considering here. So um, I am supportive of this change and thank you for doing the work um, to do this. I also think when you look at other legislative bodies such as the state legislature, a lot of people can't keep those jobs because of the pay. So um, just wanna make note of that too. So thank you. Great, thank you. Um, and Luke, did you find the two 
You found the two cities, yeah? Yeah, Luke Palmasano, Senior Legislative Policy Analyst. It's Indianapolis and Philadelphia, both cities and counties. Gotcha. Okay, thanks. So those are the two that remain other than Denver that still do it this way. Correct. Awesome. Okay, thank you. Um, great. So seeing no one else in the queue, I, I want to just um, get a straw poll. Um, is this ready to move forward to discussion in committee? Um, or would you like to see language changes um, and then have it come back? So that was not something I can either get a thumbs up or a thumbs down to. So let's, let's start that over. Uh, um, thumbs up to, we're not taking an official vote. This is just a straw poll. Um, is this ready to come to committee uh, with ironing out of last details? Thumbs up. Okay, great. Um, well, then we won't bring it back, but we will bring it through the committee of reference for further discussion um, after this. So thank you very much. Councilmember Flynn, did you have a comment? Yes, thank you. Before you did the thumbs up, I wanted to say that I would like to see some language about uh, having, so having the current salaries always uh, reflected somewhere in the code so that the public has access to it. Uh, the, the answer that I got there was that the 2023 salaries would forever stay in the code. And uh, I think in the future, uh, people would like to see what we're making. They should have, a, they should know where to go. And the easiest place is looking at code under salaries. If there's a way with this mechanism, uh, which I'm in favor of, by the way, <laughs> to include the then current salaries at each term, uh, I'd like to look for a way to do that. Yeah, that's a great question. Anshul, um can you just respond to that? Because I feel like we had this conversation several times and you don't feel like it's something we can do. Otherwise, there's no point in the charter change because it would just require us. Can you just talk, Councilmember sure. Flynn, through that? Uh, that? What you said is exactly right. So the, the point of the charter change is such that we do not have to pass an ordinance setting the salary for the next four years. The only way to change the code is to have City Council pass an ordinance doing that change. Uh, so I think it's one or the other, either the salary is stated in, in the ordinance for the next four years, and that happens every four years, or it's an automatic increase. So would it be possible, Anshul, um, let me just ask this in follow-up to that. If there is a time when we get to a, um, a four-year period where the salary is going to change, right? Because nothing changes about that and their elected salaries are set every four years. So um, if that is, if, if we come to a space where it does appear for financial reasons or ethical reasons or emotional reasons or whatever else, like um, the, the council before should uh, set the council salaries or the elected salaries differently than the automatic, is it possible for that council to pass an ordinance then addressing that for that year? It's a, it's a good question. I, so if, if the question is, if this charter change passes, is council prohibited from passing an ordinance stating the salary as calculated pursuant to the, the language in the charter? The answer is no, council is not prohibited from doing that. If a future council would like to state the salary in ordinance, even with the language as drafted, uh, that council, I believe, could do that. It would just be a, it, the number would be fixed pursuant to the formula in the charter. Okay, so different question for, or different um, point from the one that council member Flynn brought up about um, potentially, you know, ensuring that somewhere 
in city documents, it is clear what the current salary of elected officials is, which is something we can take a look at. Um, this was sort of an addition to that. Councilmember Flynn, did you have anything to add? Yes, uh, you know what, what we might be able to do is in the, in the enabling ordinance, the enacting, uh, the accompanying ordinance, uh, Anshul, tell me if this is okay, uh, would delete that table and just have the new method since these salaries are already set, if we deleted that, would we still get would we still get paid? Uh, and then we could have a requirement that all elected officials on the city website, it has their salary listed in the description of who they are. So it's always available somewhere on the on the web. That might be a way to uh, to address it. Just take that table out. Could we do that? So you want to take that one? Uh, I, I think I would have to think about it a little more, and it might be worth taking this conversation online, uh, offline. I think there are okay. ways that we can state the salary outside of the code. Certainly. Uh, whether we can delete the table or not is something that I'd have to think about. Okay. That might entail not paying us for the rest of the term, right? Yeah, I will say uh, on, when, on, when I asked that question, because I had the same question, right? Okay. Um, and when I asked that question, the city attorney's office told me <laughs> no because they have to be set somewhere to have a starting point right. from which to start the automatic process. Um, and so that's why the okay. table is in there. And that's, I asked that question too, because I, I agree with you, right? I mean, it seems, yeah. it seems superfluous, but um, there, I was told there is a reason for it, right. um, that it needs to be in there. Thank you, Madam Chair. I think maybe uh, as long as there's a requirement starting with the next council, that all the elected officials on their official website have some link where it says, here's what the mayor's paid. I, you know, I am the mayor, here's what I'm paid. I am the clerk, here's what, here's my current salary. Something on, it probably, that'd be more accessible than leaving it in the DRMC in the, first, in the first place. Yep, something we'll take into consideration. Are you comfortable with moving this forward to um, committee of reference and then we can have that conversation there? Great, okay, perfect. Um, Councilmember Gonzalez Gutierrez. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, I just, uh, just a couple of things I wanted to pull out. I, I believe it is listed on the city website, but it might be kind of hidden maybe. So that's maybe a good point there. I just wanted to piggyback off of Councilman Flynn. Um, and then I know that there's also, um, so I'm hearing like this would just be tied to the city employees. I know that there is a bill actually going through the legislature right now around deciding pay for, I, I think for that it's state elected officials and they're actually using an independent commission um, to determine those things. I don't know. Um, I, I, I don't think it wouldn't necessarily preclude us from being able to do this, but I just wanted to pull, uh, just paying that for folks um, as yeah. we're having can this I, conversation. Can I just respond to that really quickly? Yeah. So in our presentation in December, when we discussed this, that was part of what we talked about. There were sort of three paths forward. Um, and one was setting up an independent commission. Um, Luke did all of the legis. Thank you, Luke, for this. All of the legislative research on um, on what which of those path forward paths forward would make more sense, um, given kind of the way the charter is set up. And what we settled on after that discussion was this path forward. Um, so that state level setting an independent commission would not affect the city level salaries at all. It was something we looked at, but 
this language is already in the charter, which is why we ended up going with this because it already exists. The only kind of funky, weird thing, and it has to do with the Colorado Constitution and the Charter of Denver and us being a home rule municipality and all these other things. Um, there's lots of hands in the pot on this one and how it has ended up is with us having to vote every four years on something that we don't have any control over. Mm -hmm. So we didn't change the language in the charter of how the salary is set at all. Everything is exactly the same. What we're trying to do here is set it um, so that we as council members aren't required to vote on something we have no control over anyway. Got it. Thank you. Yep. Thank you, Madam Chair. Awesome. All right. Well, with that, you guys, thank you for your time. Thanks for joining us. We're adjourned until next month. Have a great day.